Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet feel like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and uh, thank you very much to Amy for recording that for us. And let's pray before we take uh, more of a look at this passage. Father God, thank you so much that your word is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. And we pray that you would be our guide this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? If everything that you have, everything familiar, was taken away, who would you be? Your job, or your place at university, your school, your friends, your relationships, your family, your future. If all of that was stripped away, who would you be? Imagine with me for a moment that you are on a raft and you are drifting down a river. For me, in my mind's eye, it's always that river at the end of the Lord of the Rings, um, just before they go past the big statues and fight a bunch of orcs, but that doesn't matter right now. Imagine you're on a river and you're drifting, not fast, but there's a mist ahead, it's hazy, you can't see what's coming up. You fear there might be a waterfall. If you've seen any film where the heroes get stuck in a boat on a river, there's always a waterfall. You don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going. And you're scared of where the raft will take you if you just let it drift. You're scared of the unknown, you're scared to trust. And so you put down anchors, future plans, a secure job, family, friends, your living situation, and they become your foundation, your safety, your identity. You are a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a year six, a year nine, a sixth former, a teacher, a doctor, a carer, a vicar, a cleaner, a trustee of a charity, a school governor. Put down enough anchors and you feel like the raft has become stable, become safe, is a firm foundation, but it's not. Whether it's because the ropes are weak and they snap, or the riverbed is soft and the anchors come loose, whatever happens, you're drifting again. Perhaps your shop or business has to close. Perhaps you face redundancy, an anchor gone. Perhaps school is cancelled and suddenly daily life looks very different. And what's going to happen to your GCSEs, your A-levels, your university exams? That anchor seemingly so certain, of course I'll be taking my exams in the summer. Now uncertain, that anchor is gone. Perhaps your pension or your investments have been decimated as the markets have plunged and the future that you took for granted doesn't look so secure anymore. An anchor gone, perhaps someone you love deeply dies, an anchor 
gone. And you're unstable again, moving about on the face of the waters. And in the worst case, you lose all of them and you're cut loose to drift you know not where. And you're afraid because you don't know who you are and you don't know what your future will hold. Now, the last time that I preached this passage, the next thing that I said was, maybe that's you right now. The anchors have been torn loose, the future is a blank, and you're afraid. But I don't think I need to say maybe anymore, because if last week's word was unprecedented, this week's phrase all over the news, all over social media is the new normal. The anchors have torn loose. The future is uncertain and many of us are afraid. And so when everything is stripped away, when your life, your future plans are taken, where do we go? When every anchor comes loose, where is your security? What is your identity? Well, the prophet Habakkuk can help us because he was writing to a people for whom that would happen. A people who would lose all the things they had built their identity on, their land, their homes, their fields, their trades, for many, their families. Not for them a plague, not for them a pandemic, but an invasion. Habakkuk's writing sometime around 640 to 615 BC, Assyria is the dominant power, and Judah, where Habakkuk lived, was a vassal state forced to pay tribute to their overlords. But it wouldn't be the Assyrians who would bring, bring this trouble to Judah, it would be the Babylonians, an upstart empire who came from nowhere, defeated the Assyrians, and after that would sweep on to destroy Jerusalem, leaving a trail of devastation in their wake. Now why is it important to know that? To know that this really happened? To know that this is real history? Because these are real events in the real world. This isn't la-la land. Habakkuk's words aren't just sentimentality, nice thoughts, a beautiful poem. You can read about this in books. In normal times, you can go and look at it in the British Museum, where in accordance with our empire's policy of seizing treasures from its vassal states, you can see artifacts that attest to the existence and dating of numerous Old Testament kings and kingdoms, including the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Artaxerxes. This is our world. Real armies storming across a real globe. Real blood on real sand. Real hunger as the crops and livestock are devoured by the invading force. Real despair as a lifetime's wealth is lost in a day. Real grief as husbands, wives, children and parents are lost. Real tears on real faces. The verses that Amy read speak of utter devastation. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls. They begin speaking of utter devastation, but they finish this way. Yet I will rejoice 
Well, how is that possible? Habakkuk begins his book, how long, O Lord? How long are we going to suffer? How long are we going to struggle? And he ends his book in these verses, singing. That's what that slightly unexpected final verse is. For the director of music on my stringed instruments, that's musical direction. This is a song. Habakkuk's prophecy is a journey from fear to faith. How can we walk the same path that Habakkuk walked? Well, as we saw in verse 17, Habakkuk speaks of the loss of fig tree, grapes, olives, fields, sheep, cattle. And it would have stung so much because these weren't bad things that the people were losing. They were good things. These were things promised to Israel by God. And so in that way, they were a part of their identity as a nation. We are the people whose God gives us a good land, a safe land, a fruitful, uh, a fruitful land, safe borders, our own king, the security of Jerusalem itself, where God dwells in his holy temple. Surely, God would not allow these blessings that he has given to us to be stripped away from his people. So when the Israelites lose these things, it's not just economic devastation, it's identity devastation. Without these things, who are we anymore? Every anchor cut. Everything that they trusted in, everything that made them who they are, gone. The land is no longer their own. Safety within their borders, a dream. Crops and livestock, a distant memory. The shelves are empty. A puppet king ruling over them. Jerusalem itself and the temple in ruins. Cut adrift to float they know not where. And in the same way, the anchors that we often put down in our lives are often good things, not bad things. And often they are things in which we rightly find a part of our identity, who we are as individuals. I'm a person who has a job, a family. We are who we are in community. And we were made to work. We were made for relationships. These things aren't bad, but we tend to make them absolute. We refuse to accept that they could ever be taken away, just as the people in Habakkuk's day might have been tempted to say, surely not Jerusalem, surely not the temple. So we can tend to say, surely not this relationship, surely not this future that I've planned for myself. This couldn't be taken away. Surely God would not allow these things to be taken from us. And that's why so many of us are finding this current situation so profoundly disorientating, so profoundly unnerving. Who are we now with so many apparent certainties taken away? We are cut adrift and we don't know our future. And in the coming months, some of us will lose people we love to the coronavirus and we will lose them forever. Some of us may lose our business. Some of us may lose our job. Some of us may lose our savings. The life we thought was ahead of us has changed completely. Well, it's for times like ours 
that this passage is here for us. When you're at the bottom of the valley and you can't even see the light. Because for Habakkuk, even though he looks forward to a better day, he knew that day would not come in his lifetime. We don't know for certain whether or not he lived to see the Babylonians invade and bring this destruction. But he couldn't possibly have lived long enough to see the, those who had been captured and taken away to Babylon return joyfully to the land. He couldn't possibly have lived to see the temple rebuilt. And so when he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I'll be joyful in God my Saviour, he's saying, even if everything I have in this world, everything in which I might have put my trust, everything in which I might have found my identity, even if all of that is lost to me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, not grit my teeth and press on. Not grin and bear it, but again, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. Well, so what then is this salvation if God is Habakkuk's Saviour? Well, Habakkuk didn't know exactly how a righteous God could save an unrighteous people. As New Testament people, those living after Jesus Christ, we do know the righteousness that allows us to be saved, the righteousness that allows us to enter into God's good new kingdom is not our own, but Jesus's righteousness in our place, won for us in the great exchange at the cross. And so our faith is in Jesus, our trust is in Jesus. Habakkuk may not have known the name of Jesus, but even though he knew less than us, he still rejoiced in God because he knew that ultimately God would save him and save all of those who would trust in God by faith. And he rejoiced because he knew how good God's salvation would be when it came. If you've got a Bible to hand, turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 4. Maybe keep a finger in Habakkuk. I don't know how long it took you to find it in the first place, but I don't want you spending the rest of the sermon trying to find it again. Um, so a finger in Habakkuk and uh, turn back to 1 Kings chapter 4 and read with me or just listen along. 1 Kings chapter 4 from verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river Euphrates to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 stall-fed cattle, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks and choice fowl. For Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own 
fig tree. This, that, that point there, 1 Kings 4, that is the pinnacle of the kingdom in the Old Testament. A glimpse of how good things could be. Far from being ruled over by a foreign nation, Solomon ruled not only his kingdom, but all the kingdoms around. Far from the field yielding nothing and flock and herd being absent, Solomon's daily provision was 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep, deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. No problems with panic buying and empty shells in Solomon's kingdom, and it may not mention it, but I suspect they weren't short of toilet roll either. 1 Kings 4 is the opposite of Habakkuk. It's a little glimpse of the life that Habakkuk looked forward to one day by faith, and the life that we too will inherit in Christ. A reversal of all that is lost and broken here. And this evocative image of, of rural paradise, everyone under their own vine and fig tree. I love that. Not a floaty, ethereal Philadelphia advert uh, heaven, you know, harps and clouds, but real, physical. What do you think of when you think of heaven? Do you look forward to it? For me, I think of the words of the great theologian Jay-Z and his treatise Forever Young, Champagne Always Cold, Music Always Good, or Dr. Dre, Get My Boys Off for Jobs, Barbecues Every Day, Driving Fancy Cars. Now, maybe you're not as gangster as I am, so perhaps that doesn't resonate with you, but think about what does. Habakkuk says, for now, I wait patiently, even though the fig tree doesn't bud, even though there's no grapes on the vines, even though everything in the world that I might have placed my security in, built my identity on, even though all of that has been stripped away, yet I will rejoice in the solid, unchanging rock that is the Lord. He is my salvation. And in him I am not on a raft, I am on a rock, and nothing can take my joy from me. Not that our circumstances will always be easy, but because we know we have safe passage through the great final storm, the great final fear, the fear, the certainty of death, because we know that in the Lord Jesus we have safe passage through that and beyond to a kingdom even more glorious than Solomon's. Well, then I can keep going. That gives me strength. That is what enables me to get up in the morning. Habakkuk says, verse 19, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, by which he means because my joy is in God, the God who will save me, so I can keep going. God gives me the strength to be bold. God gives me the courage to tread the high mountain paths. He enables me to tread on the heights in full view of risking being seen by the enemy, but to tread those paths courageously without fear. God gives me the sure-footedness to navigate through the trials of this life like the sure-footedness of a deer. 
Because when the anchors are cut, then daily life, the new normal, can feel like treading the high places in full view of the enemy. A bereavement feels like a physical weakness, a brokenness. You can feel that your steps are faltering, uncertain. But when we know with certainty that it will not always be like this, when we know with certainty that though the night of weeping may be long, joy is coming, the morning is coming, when we know that salvation has been bought for us, is certain, has been purchased and is now secure by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place, then it's not a raft, it's a rock under our feet. Then we can get up in the morning, then we can keep going. The great uh, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon once described the Christian life like this. All the way to heaven, we shall only get there by the skin of our teeth. We shall not go to heaven sailing along with sails swelling to the breeze like seabirds with their fair white wings, but we shall proceed full often with sails rent to ribbons, with masts creeping, creaking and the ship's pumps at work both night and day. We shall reach the city at the shutting of the gate, but not an hour before. That is what it is to live by faith. Jesus never promised us an easy road, quite the opposite, but he promises to get us home. Jesus never promised us an easy road, but he promises to get us home. Well, God is faithful. He is the unchanging, certain, faithful one. We sang it last week, but we're going to sing it again this week. In storm, God's love is the anchor. I'm going to pray, and then Andrew and Augustine will return from last week, and we'll sing along with them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you that your love is the anchor. When times seem easy and when times are hard, you are with us. You are unchanging. You are faithful. And may we, day by day and until our last day, put our trust in you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.